0: to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I always look forward to this part of the service because I can take my mask off. I'm delighted to see you this morning. I'm delighted that you have survived 2020. I know that there are many people who didn't. And there are some of them that you know and that are close to us, and they are fresh in our memories. But uh, I'm glad you're here this morning, not only alive and on this side of the grass, but that you are here this morning to worship God together. Uh, It's a thrill to see you here in in person and also to know that there are so many that are worshiping with us online, and we welcome you as well. I I really struggled a little bit to, to decide what I wanted to say on the very first lesson of 2021. It still sounds strange to say that, doesn't it? 2021. It seemed like yesterday when we were talking about the Y2K scare uh, as we turned to 2000. But anyway, uh, that's my problem and not yours. Uh, And and in that struggle, I decided that uh, since it would be Fundamental Sunday, it would be, I think, appropriate for us to talk about something that not only is relevant to a a fundamental lesson, but also relevant to our lives in terms of of adopting the, the habits that we need to adopt in this new year this is a tremendously opportune time for for us to reevaluate our, our spiritual lives uh, though again those spiritual habits that we have formed or that we are seeking to form in, in our christian walk and, and this morning i don't think i could think of one and talk about one that is any more important than that of of really getting into god's word so let me just begin with a challenge If you're not a daily Bible reader, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to start that practice. And you're only a couple of days behind if you haven't started already. And so it wouldn't take long for you to catch up. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in the uh, future walks of this particular lesson. It's been said, and I'm going to turn the attention now, if I may, to those of us who preach. It's been said that you can tell the seriousness of a preacher's purpose by the size and the quality of his library. I I believe that there is some validity to that because obviously if you're going to stand and, and spend people's valuable time on a regular basis as those of us who preach do, it is imperative that number one, you have something to say and secondly, that you say something that is germane to God's word and that would be relevant in their lives and would help them when we leave this building to be able to be transformed into the image of Christ more and more each day, that would help us and encourage us and edify us to do just that and also to be willing to share that information, the saving truth of the gospel, to those around us. After all, those are our marching orders in light of the Great Commission. But in terms of a preacher's responsibility, obviously it isn't enough to just own the best books on biblical themes. He then has to avail himself of their use. And so, preachers don't just buy books so that it'll look good on his, on his shelf. He, he needs to use those as tools because those are exactly what they are. J.W. McGarvey, uh, some generations ago now, mentioned the correlation between the depth of sermons and the time that a preacher spends in his study. Uh, I was present when I heard someone ask Guy in Woods in the open forum at Freed Hardman many, many years ago about the shallowness of preaching these days, and that, again, was probably 30 years ago, maybe 40, about the shallowness of preaching as compared to a generation ago. And he said, well, I think that the explanation is pretty simple. Back then, we, had, we preachers had studies. Today, we have offices. And those offices many times can resemble Grand Central Station. So preachers need to study. I think we all are in tacit agreement on that point. Otherwise, we don't have a message that is worth sharing when we, when we get up and we take your time during this, this part of the worship assembly. I'm convinced, though, that this correlation exists not just for preachers but for every Christian. We all have a tremendous responsibility and a wonderful, a wonderful privilege. It's, it's really a simple principle. Show me a Christian who is allotting regular periods of time on a daily basis in his or her life for Bible study. And typically, I know that there are some exceptions, but typically I will show you a growing Christian. On the other hand, by contrast, if you aren't spending any quality time with God's word, and you aren't doing that on a regular basis, in all likelihood you're going to be struggling spiritually. You're not doing all of God's will simply because you don't know all of God's will. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10.17 says, and so if I want my faith to grow and to increase, and you want yours to increase as well, there are many factors involved. I admit that right off, off the bat. But one of the tremendous factors, one of the most important, is to get into this book. Now, it didn't take me nearly 70 years to discover this, but I, I still want to say this to you because I think it's important. And, and, and the, the older I get, the more I, I'm impressed with this lesson Folks, this book has the answer to every question that you could ever possibly ask. I I am more and more impressed every day when I spend time in this book that God has revealed his will to us. Don't miss this. He has revealed his will to us in understandable human language so that when the typical person sits down with an honest and sincere heart, he or she is going to be able to ascertain what God wants him or her to be doing on a day-to-day basis in our lives. It's that simple. Now, I recognize that there are passages of scripture that are difficult to unravel. There are some that are hard to understand, and, and and revelation is a challenge for the most of us. We'll talk about that in just a moment as well. But for the most part, everything that God has told us to do in order to be saved and to stay saved and to grow as a Christian on a daily basis is very simple very easy to understand. In fact, that may be the challenge for some of us. That is, it's too easy. It's, it's so clear and forthright about what God wants us to be doing daily in his service. I, I remember hearing an internationally well-known uh, religious leader who said, the need of this decade is for people to rediscover the Bible. All I know to say to that is amen. We need even, and maybe especially as God's people, to rediscover God's Word. So if you don't have any other goals on your list of New Year's resolutions for 2021, I hope you'll add this one. Spend some time every day with the Word of God. The Bible is always fresh and contemporary. Its message penetrates the problems and the issues of every generation. Or as Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 24, the grass withers and the the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Almost any secular book that you buy is out of date before you get out of the store with it. Have you noticed that? I'm, t- I'm talking specifically about nonfiction books and especially books about science. And, and, and oftentimes the material is at least partially obsolete before you get through with the chapter that contains it. But I'm telling you this morning for, for, for your edification that the Bible does not grow obsolete. The Bible is never outdated in fact, that's another discovery that I've made and that it is more and more relevant and fresh and contemporary than it has ever been. It, its statements are, are, are forever more accurate because those who penned the words of this book were moved by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't take my word for it. That's what the Bible says about itself in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. So it makes sense to read your Bible every day. In fact, reading the Bible through during the course of a year is, is a worthy goal for every single one of us. And, and, and as I've mentioned before, and usually about this time of the year, it's not that difficult to do. If you'll read about four chapters a day, guess what? You'll find yourself reading through the Bible annually. And so you began with Genesis chapter 1. Well, you might want to take notes on this. You began with Genesis chapter 1, and, and, and you follow that plan. Just read four chapters a day, and you'll read completely through the Bible in the space of one year. And by the way, also for your information, most of you know this already, there are different kinds of Bible reading schedules. If you don't want to just begin with Genesis 1 and read four chapters a day, you can spend time in the Old Testament, time in the New Testament, and some of you like doing that, a balance between the old and the new. There are a variety of ways and different schedules that you can use that will work you through the Bible uh, on, on an annual basis. And I suggest that nothing could be better or healthier for the church collectively or individually than that wonderful practice. But remarkably, it's not enough just to be a Bible reader or even a daily Bible reader for that matter because we don't necessarily heed what we read. And so please appreciate the fact that I am not just suggesting in a very shallow fashion that you be a daily Bible reader and that maybe you mark a place on a page to indicate that you've read the Bible that day. We need to also work on making application of what we've learned. Now, I know you knew that before you came in here this morning. But I want to reaffirm that in your mind and in your heart. That what we read, we need to heed. We need to study God's word. We need to read God's word every day. So that he, we will know what his will for our lives is. But we also need to be willing to make application so that we'll do his will on a daily basis. So it's possible to, to memorize the entire Bible and still be an unbeliever because we don't always obey what we've read so correct attitudes coupled with correct actions will produce people that god can truly use in his service i want to say that one more time because it is so foundational correct attitudes coupled with correct actions will make us a people that god can use in his service now let me very quickly share with you this morning five basic attitudes toward the bible that I think will inevitably dictate the direction of our actions and thus, thus our very lives. And these are not all difficult to understand. Some of them are kind of hard to listen to because we may find ourselves in one of these categories where we say, that's not where I need to be. I need to grow beyond that. I need to move on in my, in my spiritual walk and grow closer to the Lord every day, and here's one way that I can do that. L- let's begin with the most obvious. There is a category of people called non-readers. That is, people who never look at the book at all. They may have one, simply for show, on a coffee table somewhere and use it as a, as a coaster for their tea glass. But in terms of practical application and study, they don't really ever open the Bible at all and consult its message. Now, let me also say this. Tragically, this group is not always compi- comprised of just those outside of the religious world. You know that there are New Testament Christians... Who claim heaven to be their ultimate goal. Who spend a little time, very little time, consulting this heavenly road map. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, Let me just say that without exception, that type of church member, as we mentioned a moment ago, is not doing all of God's will in his or her life simply because they don't know all of God's will. Faith still comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So somewhere we've gotten the idea... And, and I don't mean to be ugly about this, but I want to be absolutely candid. We've gotten the idea that it's the work primarily of gospel preachers and maybe our Bible school teachers to digest God's word for us and then to stand and to disseminate that information for our mutual benefit in our, in our public assemblies. But when I read scripture, here's what I find. That, that's a marching order for every single one of us that we don't just take someone else's word for it. That's that's what leads many people into spiritual bondage. They've just simply taken a man's word for it because he has a black Bible, a white shirt, and calls himself a preacher. And and God's word says you need to be looking at and studying this message for yourself. It is the moral obligation of every person to study God's word for himself or herself. And, And here's the best part of all this, and I really mean that sincerely. Here's the best part of of this whole process. You don't have to have an advanced degree in biblical studies to be able to understand God's word. God has revealed his will to man in understandable human language. Now, I have spent about 52 years in the ministry trying to convince people of that. Because I still run into church members who say, well, you know, I don't study the Bible because I can't understand it. I'm convinced that that vies against everything that the Bible tells us that we can do and that we ought to do as students of God's word. Listen to this. Ephesians 3, 4, Paul is writing to the common man in Ephesus. I mean, we're talking about there's some people that were educated in the Ephesus church of Christ, and there are some who weren't. There were the common uh, blue-collar workers, the, the shepherds that worked in the, in, in the hills and the fields outside of Ephesus. There were common laborers and there were educated people that ran the gamut on the intellectual scale. And yet Paul wrote to them and said, you, when you read my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, you will be able to understand my message. Ephesians 3 verse 4. So when I, when I write this book to you and, and you read it among yourselves... In the Ephesus church, you will be able to understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Two chapters later, in Ephesians 5.17, he gives this further admonition. He says, but be not therefore unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Remember, command implies control. Anytime God has commanded us to do something, that implies that we are in control of the response. That is, we can do whatever it is that he has commanded us. And when Paul by inspiration says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, guess what? That means we can do that. We can understand God's will. And we don't always have to have somebody to help us or to sit at our elbow as we're studying in order to do that. But the sad reality is, any one of us who might be willfully ignorant of God's word are going to have to stand and be accountable to God for that fact. And here's the Bible for that, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. Those who know know not God and obey not the gospel will be banished from the presence of God for eternity. Now that's serious language. But I believe it's written that way so that we will understand how dangerous it is for us, especially as followers of Jesus Christ, to not spend time with the Word of God, to not make the effort every day to sit down and have some quiet time and to read God's instruction book to lost humanity. Those who are his children and yet fall into the non-reader category are going to inevitably die of spiritual malnutrition. So I needed to give you the warning right up front. There are those who are non-readers. But then secondly, here's a second category of people whose attitude toward the Bible we need to talk about for just a moment. And that is those who consider God's word for its literary worth. This is a beautiful book. It is a beautifully written book. And I'm telling you that it it is certain, certainly true that the Bible is a book of great literary worth. There is no denying that. In fact, I would be the first to acknowledge it. And even those who neglect its spiritual focus will set it forth as as a prime example of classical literature because it is exactly that. You know, there's no doubt. That the simplicity of its prose and the beauty of its poetry are are qualities of the Bible that are to be greatly admired. And and nothing can really compare with its prosaic description of a virtuous woman, as you find in Proverbs chapter 31. Or wholesome marital love described in that Old Testament book called The Song of Solomon. That's a beautiful book. If you haven't read it, you, you need to. Poetry written by uninspired men, folks, cannot equal the simple beauty of such lines as "As the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But let me also offer this warning. To read the Bible solely for its literary worth is a grave mistake of eternal proportions. God does not want us to read and consider his book simply because of its literary worth but because of its message of salvation, because of what it can and will do to our hearts and and the transformation of our lives that will result if we read this book and then we respond appropriately to its message. You see, it's not for its poetry or prose that God wants us to consider his book. It's for the message of salvation that it contains. And so to admire its poetic symmetry, but then to ignore its plan to save, means to be lost eternally. So let's make sure that when we're looking at God's word, we're looking at it in order for this message to change our lives. Thirdly, those who who read God's word but don't look for themselves. Now, that's not one that a preacher made up in his, in his study some Monday morning. That's what James said. James says if, if we're not looking at God's word, this is chapter 1 primarily, and he gets... Talks about it a little bit in chapter two, but if we're looking at God's word simply for for the message, the literary worth of it, or or making application to somebody else other than ourselves, it's not going to to really do us any good at all. There's no benefit in that kind of study. Many of us read the Old Testament, for example, strictly from an historical perspective, and and we see the fickle, spiritually fickle nature of the Israelite people, and how that they you know they just seem to run through a cycle. Uh, they would rebel against God, and th- they would go off and 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 began to worship idols like the people that were already living in the land, and and then God would would send someone to bring punishment and judgment upon the people, and they would say, "Oh yeah, man, we messed up," and they would repent and they would come back to God's side, and and before you could turn two pages, they're back into that cycle again. And we can we look at the Israelite people and we go, "Man, they were spiritually fickle people. They could not make up their minds, and yet so often." We fail to see how that the church, spiritual Israel, is so similar in many ways. And how that if you look at church history, you can see us doing many of the same things that those fickle spiritual Israel people did. Many Bible readers were like David when he was confronted by Nathan over in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I think about the first seven verses, you remember that account. And, and how that Nathan came to him and told him a parable about a little ewe lamb. And, and, and then Nathan, uh, David got all bent out of shape. He said, you show me that man and, and, and I'll execute him. I'll take his life because that's, that's just not right. And finally, Nathan had to say, thou art the man. I mean, he had to make some personal application for the king and for, for him to see that, hey, you're talking about me there. The Bible does that for us, by the way. There are places where it almost grabs us by the lapels and says, hey, Randy, I'm talking to you. You're the one that needs to be reading this for your personal benefit and not just to make a sermon on Sunday morning, not to help someone else grow closer to God, but for your own Christian walk. In fact, one of the oldest books that I have in my library I bought many, many years ago at the encouragement of an older gospel preacher is uh, by Brother McMillan entitled "A A Minister's Spiritual Life. And in the preface of the book, he warns those of us who are preaching or thinking about preaching that we make sure that while we're working, to, to working up sermons and classes to be able to share God's word with other people, that you're spending some time in God's word, watch this carefully, for your own personal benefit. Are you spending time with God's word? Are you spending quality time with God's word every day of your life? You know, erring Christians can read the account of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, They can marvel at the son's lack of maturity. Why in the world would he ever want to leave home in the first place, they may ask. They can revel in the father's compassion and his forgiving nature as he welcomed that son back home and never see themselves in that story. Never appreciate that, hey, I might be the prodigal son here. I might be the prodigal daughter that Luke 15 is addressing. We read the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter ten, and yet still don't know who our neighbor is. Or maybe we feel no real compulsion to render help and assistance to, to, to meeting his needs once we find out who he is. It, it's, it's kind of remarkable, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot a lot of time this morning with this, but if you've got some time this afternoon or can make some time, spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I love the way Paul, by inspiration, breaks down a lesson for the Corinthian congregation. Now, I don't have to tell you that Corinth was a messed up church, and most of the letters or the chapters in this letter that Paul was writing to Corinth was written to address some of those problems. But in chapter 10, he gets really specific, and and he's really nailing down the focus of the readers in Corinth on one specific sin down somewhere in that chapter he says now beware of fornication that was one of the great dangers in Corinth in fact the typical Corinthian I'm not just talking about the church I'm talking about anybody secular folks people in the world and so on they prided themselves in their sexual promiscuity even parents thought it would be wonderful if my daughter could grow up to become a prostitute in the temple of Aphrodite. I mean, that's how off off course they were morally. And, And so that had filtered into the church. And people were being influenced by that kind of thinking. And so Paul is writing this and says, beware of fornication. And then he goes on to say, you know, the things that happened to the Israelites happened to them as examples that we might learn to not fall as they fell. So he's helping them not only to understand the the importance of the warning, but also the the specific personal application that was needed in their lives. And then he goes on to say 23,000. I mean, that would get your attention, would not it? 23,000 Israelites fell in one day because of this one sin. Paul, I, I think you're serious about this. and and he helped him to understand how critical and how crucial learning this lesson and then applying this lesson was and then down i think in verse 12 of first corinthians 10 he says now wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall anytime you get to the point in your spiritual growth that you feel like that you are now invulnerable and impervious to sin and temptation guess what you have been set up To have your spiritual feet knocked out from under you. Satan is now ready to charge you in your life and and use every weapon in his arsenal. That's that's what Paul was doing. It's a fantastic study about homiletics if you'll just read through 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with that thought in mind. And and yet when I get through with with that 10th chapter, I'm still thinking there were probably people in Corinth that still did not see the personal application even though Paul spelled it out for them, you know, and if he had PowerPoint, I'm sure he would have used some illustrations. We can read. It, I'm saying all that to say that we can we can read and we can study the book without profit if we're not careful. And so I'm not encouraging you just to be a daily Bible reader, but to be a daily Bible student and practitioner of this book. Let me give you another example of this very quick. We'll move on. We're almost through. We can spend time in that last wonderful book of god's revelation entitled revelation it is the revelation of god through the pen of john and, and you can read that book and especially the first couple of chapters where all the churches of asia are being addressed and, and you can read that and and still derive absolutely no personal profit if you're not careful you see we can focus on the congregation's where the Lord said through John's pen that that you need to straighten up, that you need to repent and and do the first works, and and, and that you have forgotten your first love, and those kinds of admonitions that John is writing on the Lord's behest and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to these congregations that had all kinds of problems. And so we can discuss the congregations in in Ephesus and Pergamos and Thyatira and, and Laodicea and Sardis, and and yet still fail to see how that so often our problems are parallel to theirs. It's a fascinating study, by the way. And and there's some wonderful truths that are not just of historical significance. They, They have a tremendous impact on our own spiritual existence. If only we will make sure that we're allowing that to happen. We can fail to see our own imperfections that so often parallel those of these erring congregations, and I'm just saying that that kind of Bible study is is without profit, and that's not what we need to be doing. But fourthly, there are those who see themselves, James said, but then they soon forget. You remember the passage, James one twenty four. James said, we can use God's word as a mirror; we can look into the image of that mirror, and then we can go our way and forget what manner of man we were. Those were James's words. You know, that's that's I think really close to home, isn't it? Because this may be the category into which many Christians fall. It, it, I think it's really our, our strongest human tendency in action because we are, we are creatures, folks, of incredibly short memories. heard about a man who, who went to the doctor and complained to his doctor. And he said, Doctor, I need some help. I'm having some serious problems with my memory. And the doctor said, How long have you had that problem? And the man said, What problem? Two, three, four." And and, 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 uh, the first time I heard that, I said, that's not funny. Because I could see myself in that joke. We are incredibly people of incredibly short memories. And and there are times, James says, when we have every good intention. When we open this book and we read its message to say, I'm going to not only allow, I'm going to, to make this message bring about some changes in my life. And James says, here's the... Probably the greatest danger for for God's people. And that is to turn your back then on, on, on that mirror. Go your way. Get busy with the other aspects of your life. And forget what changes and corrections need to be made. I hope on the inside you're saying amen. Because I think this is a tremendous danger for every single one of us. Is to be readers of God's word. But to have incredibly short memories. To forget what changes God's word needs to be making in our lives. How many times have we done that? We read God's word. We, maybe we've heard it proclaimed from the pulpit. We saw the need of some personal application. Maybe there was some specific sin in, in our lives that was addressed from the pulpit or in a Bible class. And yet we're not out of the parking lot before the pains of conscience have abated. And we've forgotten what it was that we needed to do in response to that message. We're determined maybe that we're going to do more in kingdom service especially as we make our New Year's resolutions, but we soon forget the urgency of that need, and we wind up in the same rut that we were in before we ever gained that insight. And that's because, and if you need to write this down someplace, I hope you will, that's because so many of us are are learning-oriented but not doing-oriented. That is, we take comfort in knowing, well, I know that, I, I read a cute little anecdote just a couple of days ago about a four-year-old who had gotten to the point in his life where he felt like he knew everything. And every time his parents would tell him something, especially tell him to do something, he'd I know that. And uh, finally the mother got him down and just looked eyeball to eyeball and said, you do not know everything. He says, I know that. <laughs> and, and, and that's where James says we can be if we're not careful. It, it, with the attitude that I, you know I know everything that there is to know and I don't need to be taught anything else. No, it, it, we need to. If we're going to be determined that we're going to do more in kingdom service, we need to make sure that we're not just learning oriented; that we're that we're doing oriented. Because faith without action is is of no avail. James says over and over again, but specifically in James one twenty two. So I, I think all of us are that way to some degree or another, and it's something that we always have to combat as Christians. You know, a preacher's chief task, according to Peter, especially is to remind people of what they already know. I I learned that many years ago, that my chief obligation is not to try to find something fresh, innovative, uh, and creative to be able to share with an audience on a Sunday morning. It's to simply remind people of what they already know. And if you want the Bible for that, here it is, 2 Peter chapter 1, twelve through thirteen. He also says the same thing in verse fifteen of the same chapter. He reminds them again in chapter three, verses one and two. Jude five mentions this. First Timothy four six mentions this that is a minister's a good minister's responsibility is to stand up and say Let's review. To remind them of what they already know. Because folks, we have to have that kind of space repetition in our lives before we really learn and then we apply. So it's not only a preacher's responsibility to remind folks, watch this carefully, it is everyone's responsibility to be reminded. If if, if we fail in that process, it may not be the preacher's fault. It may be simply that I'm not willing to be reminded of these eternal truths that need to be applied in my life every day. So it's every Christian's responsibility to be reminded. Here's the Bible for that. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. The writer says, therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we let them slip. What's that? We we need to give earnest heed to the things that we've heard from God's word specifically. Because if we're not careful, we'll let them slip. We'll forget about the need for that application. So that which we've learned and let slip does absolutely no good. Rather, it's what we remember and then we apply that will cause us to, to grow up and to become more like Christ. So let's work on remembering what we read and what we hear from God's eternal word. And only then will we be a people for God's possession. Here's the final category I want us to think about for just a minute. There are those who who use God's word as a mirror to continue with the imagery at the last point. They they, they use it as a mirror as a tool of self-improvement. And that's really what a mirror is, isn't it? Uh, If you've got a mirror in your bathroom, well, what am I talking about? If. How many mirrors do you have in your bathroom? <laughs> you know, uh, everybody has mirrors. Uh, and sometimes we, we take a look at them early in the morning, you know, we go, oh, what happened there? But, but again, the whole idea, it's not an instrument to promote narcissism. You know, I don't remember how, how many of you remember the old uh, sitcom Happy Days? And remember the, as the credits were rolling at the beginning of the show and Fonzie would look in the mirror and go, hey. <laughs> he saw absolutely no improvements that need to be made, so he put his comb back in his pocket and walk away. James is saying if we're careful, if we're not careful, we'll do that spiritually. And we will look at God's word as a mirror, but then we'll forget what we've done. But this last category are people who are more serious than that. And who are more earnest and dedicated than that. And I hope that's every one of us here this morning. That is, we look at God's word and we use it as a tool of self-improvement. God's word is to be used to see ourselves in. To note areas of improvement to then be willing to make the necessary corrections. And notice also this needs to be a, an ongoing process. This isn't just something that we do every now and then. No, God's Word actually says, if you're spending quality time in the Word, that has to be an ongoing, continuing process. Here's what James says in James 1.25, but whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, watch this, and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So he needs to continue in it. And then Jesus said in John 8, verse 31, he said to those Jews that believed on him, if you, continue, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Again, John 8, 31 and 32. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter says in his second letter, grow in the grace and of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Did you see that correlation? Our growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is commensurate to and always corresponds to our knowledge, our growing in the knowledge. We can't do what we don't know to do. Bible study just can't be an occasional incidental in our Christian sojourn if we're going to expect any discernible Christian progress. No, James says that some Christians seem to have spiritual anorexia. That is what they do learn, they soon forget and purged from their systems as soon as possible. Bible study must become to us as natural as as eating a meal. And notice I said become, because it won't be at first. It is an acquired habit. You you don't just get out of the baptistry and immediately have a voracious appetite for for God's word. Now, you're going to have to develop that. You're going to have to work on that as you grow in Christ. You know, any bad habit, like mental laziness, is, is initially hard to overcome. And new habits are, are, are hard to develop and to form, but it is possible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, was Paul's personal assessment of that situation in Philippians 4.13. Now, as we noticed a moment ago, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I want to make one more point, and then we're through. There is a graduating significance in that statement, and I hope that you saw it. The more of the truth that you possess, the freer from sin you'll become. That is, as long as you are making consistent application of what you read and what you learn. You know, many are, are, are still in bondage. And I'm, I'm afraid some of these, or even church members, are still in bondage to sin because they've never done what they know to do in, in response to the gospel message. Jesus told some of his earliest followers in John thirteen seventeen, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Notice not happy if you know them, happy if you do them. In fact, I think that there may be some church members who are miserable because they do know God's will and they know that they aren't living that in their lives. They aren't living up to that standard and so they, they have guilt. And, and they go to bed at night, and their conscience bothers them, and, and the Lord said, "You don't have to live that way, in fact, that's not the way he wants anybody to live. Sadly, some are imprisoned by their by their own spiritual ignorance, and they've come to view Christianity as a burden rather than a blessing and that won't change folks, until you become a student and a practitioner of God's holy word. whichever of these categories that you may find yourself in this morning, please, please, sincerely and honestly evaluate." your own Bible study habits, make the necessary changes, and you will be eternally glad you did. God's word says that if you are at the point this morning where you need to render your initial obedience to the gospel call, we hope you'll do that. And Tucker has already announced a song, we're going to sing that in just a moment. If you need to turn your back on sin and sincere sorrow and repentance, we hope you'll do that this morning. If you need to confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, we would be delighted to hear that, that confession fall from your lips this morning. And if you need to be baptized to put on Christ and have his blood wash every single sin in your life away, we would be more than happy to help you while we stand and while we sing this song. Would you live for Jesus and